0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: A rise in demand for Botox means business is booming in the bush for fly-in, fly-out injectors.
0: Why can't we have, you know, big city, flashy options open to us? And why can't we have, you know, proper skin rejuvenation here like they do in other places
1: and teaching inmates to handle horses so they can retrain and turn their lives around when they're released
2: i haven't seen my family in a while due to covid as well and being in jail but when you're around them they're very calming the way you feel kind of projects on them so if you're angry and you're in a bad mood it can kind of like relay on the horse and the horse can act the same way so if you're calm and quiet the horse should act the same way you are
1: I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk country. Year 12 students around the country are nearing the end of their long-awaited HSC exams. But for one group of students on the New South Wales mid-north coast, it's been extra challenging. These students from Kempsey's Maclay Vocational College have had the added pressure of juggling the books with motherhood. Reporter Madeline Cross has more. Nisha and Charlene
3: Dunn's journey to completing their HSC exams has been vastly different from most other teenagers. The sisters both gave birth in their final year of school and now have the additional responsibility of being mothers. 18-year-old Nisha says it's been a challenging year. Well, yeah, it's been really, like, hard, especially with um, baby and all that. He's been sick in hospital a bit, a couple of times. And, yeah, probably just getting up in like, getting ready for school sometimes hard but it's good because the mums and bubs they come pick us up on our own bus and yeah they just wait for us sometimes to get ready. Kempsey's Maclay Vocational College caters for students who've fallen out of mainstream education it's Gindaburi program provides a flexible education environment for young mothers and their babies for people to like help me and support me while I go to school and do some work to finish school like I didn't know there was going to be like opportunities like this um, that's like the main thing my mum wanted us to do, just finish Year 12. She was a little over the moon when she heard us doing our HHC. 17-year-old Charlene thought the added responsibility of being a mother would be too much to handle.
0: Didn't really know that I was going to finish Year 12. I thought I was going to just make it to Year 11 and drop out. I didn't know I was going to go all the way, but, yeah, it's very exciting. I wasn't as smart until I came to VC. Then I got a bit better at my English and stuff like that. And yeah, I just didn't thought I was going to make it to Year 12. feels better that I know that someone in the class that I'm doing it with. So yeah, it feels a bit better.
3: The Gindabari program was developed in 2015 by Sue Seeger.
4: I started here just over 10 years ago as the general manager of the registered training organisation. But I'd always had a dream. We'd had a few girls here that had left, and you know, quite a few pregnant. And I'd always felt it wasn't fair that women would leave school, have a baby. It was too hard to go back to school, too hard to go to TAFE childcare if you can get it. it Was expensive, so I came up with the idea of that there should be a crèche type facility where mums can come back to schools or TAFEs. Someone here qualified in a safe environment to mind their children while the girls go to class, they can come back. If they're breastfeeding, they can breastfeed their baby still, trying to encourage all their health. So if we could bring all those services here so they could still go to school and not interrupt. So that's where Nangu Dalaga mother, child, happy place came from. So I wrote the program and here we are today. We provide support and mentoring to our mums. We can talk about our own experiences as a mother, for me, a grandmother, um, trying to help encourage them to not be ashamed that if they want to go for a job or build a career, they can with confidence, they can go to university if they want to, or they can do a TAFE course if they want to, rather than saying, I'm just a mum. I don't like it when I hear somebody say, I'm just a mum. No, no, we are never just a mum. I think every community, whether it's an affluent community or not, needs to have programs like this because, you know, when we look at statistics, there are a lot of young mothers out there and that don't finish their education. And I think if we can help strengthen our nation by empowering the women and helping them raise stronger children. In the long term it's going to be less of a burden on our health system. It's going to be less of a burden on our justice system. It's going to reduce some of those antisocial behaviours that people tend to turn to when they're hurting internally or they don't have any hope.
3: 20 students at the Maclay Vocational College are set to graduate year 12 this year and Principal Ryan Martin says three are young mothers.
5: It's allowing our young mums in community to continue on with their education, complete their HSC, do some vet courses and I suppose upskill themselves so that um, the example that they're setting to their young their young ones is that education's important. Being employed or finding further training or whatever that is, um, that's the example that they're setting.
3: Mr Martin says the staff at the school are extremely proud of the young mums.
5: They're some of the most inspiring young women that I've ever met in my life. They are obviously getting up, they've got kids to manage, they've got study to do, and then they're going to sit HSC exam. It can can be a really challenging place to work, but the outcomes that we have for the kids are incredibly rewarding.
1: Madeline Cross with that story. The shortage of rural GPs has long plagued regional communities across the country. And while there were some measures rolled out in this week's federal budget aimed at fixing the issue, one medical body says it's simply not enough. The healthcare centre in Blackwater has been a pillar in the central Queensland community for more than 50 years. Today, it'll close its doors for good because it could not find a permanent GP. Rockhampton reporter Katrina Bevan has this story.
6: For almost four decades, Glenda Martin has worked at a GP practice in Blackwater. She's watched the centre go from strength to strength, but today the clinic will close its doors for good. It lost its permanent GP in March, and clinic manager, Ms Martin, says the team has exhausted all options since then, trying to recruit a replacement.
7: It's a really good practice. It takes care of patients and, and you know looks after the mining sectors, so of course it's... It's a big shock to the town. You know, we've contacted health workforce at all the ages. We registered the business to bring overseas trained doctors and it's just nobody that wants to come to Blackwater.
6: Blackwater has a population of almost 5,000 people and services a large number of fly-in, fly-out mining workers. Fellow clinic manager Michelle Window is worried the closure could mean more pressure on the local hospital and the one remaining GP clinic.
7: I'm worried. I'm worried for our community and and for our patients. So I think the other practice they have been great and they're obviously willing to take on, you know, any of our patients that are wanting to now see the doctor, the other doctors at the other practice, but. They're already under some pressure. I think they're going to be under a lot of pressure, as is the hospital. Honestly, at this stage, I, I know we're not the only community or small town that's suffering. We're closing because we cannot find a GP and I know there's other places that are in the same spot so something really has to be done.
6: Blackwater local Lester Anderson had been a patient at the clinic for more than 50 years. He's one of many people saddened by its closure.
8: We like
7: it, we trust it and it's been very good to us. There is another GP service in Blackwater and there's also the hospital. Um, the the other G P service in Blackwater will be overrun, I'd imagine. They'll get all the patients or ninety percent of the patients from that particular clinic and it'll just be a you know a lottery to get in to, to get an appointment at a short notice.
6: The problem of course is not unique to Blackwater and there were some things rolled out in this week's federal budget aimed at fixing the issue including increased loadings for doctors working in remote areas and more rural rotations for junior doctors. It's something Rural Doctors Association of Australia President Dr Megan Bellow welcomes.
9: So the increase in the John Flynn Provocational Doctor Program is basically giving junior doctors placements in small rural towns to work in the hospital but also in the private practice so that they can actually see and work with a rural generalists. A lot of medical students get exposed at university with rural placements and we see this as a very good thing. But we really lose them in those junior doctor years. And so we really welcome the increased funding to a 1,000 placements each year. We at RDAA would really love to see 1,600. We would definitely welcome the extra training positions for rural generalists for their advanced skill to allow that to be happening. And we also really welcome the tiered WIP reform, so that's a workforce incentive program, that they are entitled to... An increase in their WIP payment that they already receive, and that this is actually tiered. So, the more remote you work, the more you get. The longer that you have been working in your small rural community, um, the more you get. And if you provide an advanced skill to the hospital, um, then that is also renumerated as well.
6: She's also happy with the budget's $8.4 million over three years from 2023 to 2024 to provide 15 additional hospital-based training posts a year for rural generalist doctors and rural GPs. But she says the federal government's decision in July to expand the distribution priority areas classification to outer metropolitan and large regional areas is continuing to hurt rural towns.
9: So we are actually quite concerned about doctors choosing to leave rural remote Australia to work closer to the cities and having a policy that allows them to do that as well. Basically, we need the full pathway to be implemented nationally so that these junior doctors can see, oh, rural generalism actually is its own specialty. It's remunerated on the same par as metropolitan other specialties. You know, this is actually something that I could
1: do. Rural Doctors Association of Australia President Dr Megan Bellow Ending that story from Katrina Bevan
5: You're listening to ABC Australia Wide
1: And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. Mount Isa in Queensland is no stranger to fly in, fly out or FIFO. FIFO miners, FIFO doctors, you'd be hard pressed to find an industry that didn't have FIFO workers. So what about FIFO Botox? A rise in demand means business for FIFO injectors is booming in the bush. So much so that cosmetic nurses like the Gold Coast Emma Prendergast are making regular trips to outback towns. Emily Dobson has this report.
7: I didn't want to walk away from my nursing qualification or nursing in general because that still is my passion. But when I had our third child, shift work just sometimes isn't necessarily your friend.
10: Emma Prendergast spent 25 years working as a nurse in hospitals before swapping her scrubs for a career in cosmetic injectables.
7: I have been injecting now for the last... Seven years, um, I got to a point in my life and my career that I, I knew that I wanted to do something else, but what? And I had a friend in the industry, and I was lucky enough to get in through her it was a little bit before the peak of the
10: cosmetic injectables craze or, or, you know, phenomenon or popularity. But in the past seven years, things have changed beyond belief when it comes to the world of Botox and filler. Emma's business is based on the Gold Coast, but two years ago she began servicing towns across Outback, Queensland – so
7: Malnasa is the furthest that I travel, but our primary target is throughout central Queensland. So we go out to Emerald, Biloela, Gladstone, Moranbah, Claremont. We're trying to head a little bit further south as well, say Roma and Dolby, because in its own way, it's still becoming
10: very oversaturated post-COVID. There's a lot of people changing careers. Seeing up to 15 clients in a single day, Emma spends upwards of $3,000 a month on flights alone to see her customers across the state. And even with rising cost, she says for now, it's still worth it. The distance and the cost to get out there is certainly
7: something that you have to consider. There are also injectors that come out from uh, Cairns and Townsville. um, And so it it may not be as expensive for them because they're further north as well. Yes, it's definitely a consideration. I always make sure that I'm booked and I do happen to be booked fairly solid in Mount Isa each time I come.
10: Because anything less than that, it really isn't worth it financially.
7: There's certainly some profit, but the higher the expenses, the less I take home.
10: Competition is rife in the mining city of Mount Isa. But one local injector sees so much promise in the industry that she's invested into a brick and mortar store, despite only being on the job for the past 12 months.
0: I was always really interested um, in aesthetic medicine and plastic surgery, you know, would always sit down and watch the old botched on TV. Went and I did my training and absolutely loved it, fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, became a cosmetic nurse.
10: Lauren McElroy is the owner of Mount Isa Cosmetic Injectables and says the appeal of being her own boss helped push her towards the change after a decade-long career as a registered nurse.
0: With hospital nursing, you're just getting so burnt out now, like we're so So short staffed. So, I actually still work as a clinical nurse, and so I haven't fully transitioned. That is the dream, yeah, to get out of, you know, working for somebody else and, you know, being able to set your own hours and having a bit of freedom. With
10: locals now craving a taste of what they've seen on screens in the form of anti wrinkle injections or filler, Business in the Bush is booming but who is there to regulate
0: it? It's very difficult and, you know, I cringe every time someone comes to me and they're like, oh, yeah, no, I just went and toddled off to this injector without doing their research behind them first. I think most injectors are on the same page of trying to quash any rogues that are happening. I think the most important research is talking your injector. I always make sure that before I go and see anybody, I'm finding out what work they've already done. Have they had any mishaps? What's their background experience? Are they able to, you know, help you if you have something go wrong?
10: While those who have put in the work and gotten all the right qualifications are standing together, it's out of their hands. A spokesperson for the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, ARPRA, and the Nursing and Midwifery Board of Australia said this.
2: The NMBA regulates nurses in Australia, sets standards for the profession and manages complaints and concerns. Our primary role is to protect the public. The NMBA expects that nurses are educated and competent in their area of practice and hold the requisite skills required to meet the needs of their client group, including nurses working in the area of cosmetic medical procedures. APRA and the NMBA do not regulate products, including cosmetic injectables. Concerns about these products should be directed to the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA. All registered health practitioners have a duty of care when providing treatment to their patients. We support patients making safe and informed decisions about their health care.
10: But the advice from qualified and trustworthy cosmetic injectors is simple. Yeah, you've got to be careful who you have
7: injecting things into your face. You you should ask them, how long have you been doing this? What are your qualifications? I don't see that as rude. I see that as somebody doing their homework. There's a lot of people out there doing it and it's important to do your homework and make sure that you feel comfortable with the person holding that needle.
1: Emily Dobson with that story.
5: This is
7: ABC Australia Wide.
1: The use of plastic is a part of almost all businesses, from farming, food production to fishing, and many sectors are searching for ways to recycle it. But the collapse of a dedicated recycling facility in Tasmania has left farmers in a pinch. Lachlan Bennett has the story.
11: Invoronex was the green dream that turned trash into treasure. The Plastics Recycling Company became a poster child for the circular economy as it helped transform old farming, fishing and mining equipment into new products. But amid the turmoil of the pandemic, the company went bust. And that has left farmers with a plastic problem
4: very easy to stuff it into a shipping container or stuff it into a bale and send it to another country to be dealt with. It would be much better to have it dealt with in Tasmania.
11: That's Ian Saw, president of the Tasmanian Farmers and Graziers Association. Invoronex became well known for offering to collect and recycle silage wrap. That's the plastic sheeting that protects bales of feed. But Mr Saw says now they're gone... Silage wrap is starting to build up.
4: The farmers are in a dilemma because there's nowhere to put it. Uh, It's not really environmentally friendly burning it and certainly not environmentally friendly burying it so most farmers have got a mountain of silage wrap growing.
11: The agriculture industry is also searching for a solution to its plastic problems. Salmon farmers in particular are keen to highlight their environmental credentials. They've been struggling with years of negative press about their impact on waterways. But Dan Roden runs an oyster farm in Tasmania's east coast. And for years, he was trying to recycle more than 40,000 old plastic baskets.
8: As technology has improved, we've um, you know, changed our production systems, and which has meant, and this is throughout industry, which has meant you know, that um, a lot of oyster farmers have, um, you know, redundant production gear, which we are trying to find a solution for. But as the plastic debris
11: piled high in his depot, he realised there was little option but to chip the plastic and send it to landfill.
8: Well, the technology's there. Um, I guess we just don't have the organisation to be able to do it. Dan is now switching to a new type of basket, that's easier to recycle. We're the stewards of the waterway out there, so we're trying to make sure that, you know, we look after the environment as much as we can, and so we're trying to look at solutions to recycle our product.
11: Jenny Brown spent more than a decade building and running in Voronex. The business was a labour of love. So when it all came crashing down, it hit her pretty hard.
7: I really cannot put words on that. I think plastics, you know, it has a place in the marketplace done properly. It, it can be recycled. It can become a closed loop system. Um, it's, um, the public have to help the manufacturers and um, the designers of products have got to make sure it can be recycled. Um, it, it's, um, everyone has to be involved if we want this to work
1: former Environex, General Manager Jenny Brown, ending that story from Lachlan Bennett in Launceston. Finally to the New South Wales Hunter Valley, where near Scone, the horse capital of Australia, inmates are getting a leg up for a second chance and new career upon release. Musselbrook St. Hillier's Correctional Centre takes on dozens of retired racehorses each year and retrains them for other disciplines. And it's opening opening up doors for the inmates who lead the programme, under the guidance of Racing New South Wales. Upper Hunter Reporter Amelia Bernasconi has the story. Saint okay. St. Helier's inmate Ryan
7: had never been around horses before he was jailed, but now he's planning a career in the thoroughbred industry. He's one of dozens of inmates upskilling and retraining to turn their lives around as part of a racehorse rehoming program, partnering with a local
3: stud.
2: Well, I've been in jail. Before. Three and a half years now, and I've been working down here for about a year. I started off not having to do anything with horses, never pretty much padded a horse in my life until I came here. Now I'm riding them, feeding them, helping with like veterinary care, things like that. I'm lunging them every day. I work the horses, try to um, get the horses ready to be ridden and progress to sell them so someone can ride them later on.
7: How many horses would you be working in a week?
2: In a week? I, well, in work we'll probably have like two horses at one time with me, but other boys they only have one. But um, I've probably worked around 10, 11 horses now and probably sold, of those that I've worked, probably like six or seven and rehomed them, yeah.
7: What's that feeling like when you do, you know, find a good buyer?
2: It's a good, good feeling to know the horse is going to a good home. Most of the horses are pretty high strung when I get them and then... By the time i'm finished with them they're easy to ride i ride as well mm-hmm. so it's, it's really good it's like it, they're very calming to be around it's like i haven't seen my family in a while due to COVID as well and being in jail but when you're around them they're very calming the way you feel kind of projects on them so if you're angry and are in a bad mood it can kind of like relay on the horse and the horse can act the same way so if you're calm and quiet the horse should react the same the way you are i'd like to do this and pursue this on the outside when i get out
7: Corrective Services New South Wales Commissioner Kevin Corcoran said there weren't many programs like this one in the state.
5: Well, this is uh, pretty unique uh, in terms of uh, what we're doing with animals. Like we've got animals all around the state, uh, you know, in farms and so forth. But uh, you know, apart from uh, the greyhound rehabilitation, this is the only other real rehabilitation uh, work we do with uh, and with uh, animals apart from some wildlife uh, rescue that we've got uh, out at Windsor as well uh, but we've got a fabulous uh, relationship with uh, racing new south wales and uh, we're very pleased to uh, be able to assist them in bringing these horses into a, an environment where we can you know eventually rehone them after we get them to settle down after a, a very uh, uh, interesting racing career some of them certainly have yes and uh, for us it's incredibly important to put inmates through vocational training and then giving a real world experience working in industry. Come on.
7: Racing New South Wales Caleb Locke says it's win-win for the horses and the inmates.
8: Horses and inmates both do um, rehabilitation work for, for their you know life after racing for the horses and also career opportunities for the inmates. Post, um, release. So we've had a number of inmates that have successfully gone out and now working in the industry with these skills that they've obtained at St Heliers, and um, you know it, it is a very rewarding program for both parties.
7: How do you see some of the inmates that have been in this program for some time? Uh, sort of change you know whether they were a bit tense coming into the the round yard the first time or how do you see them change and grow
8: yeah that's right so down here you can kind of get the feel it's a bit of a different environment to that of the compound so it really is um you know matching the reintegration into society you know it's an environment where there's the pressures are kind of off they're happy to work within their horses and um go about their daily routine
1: Racing New South Wales Equine Welfare Officer Caleb Block, ending that story from Amelia Bernasconi in the New South Wales Upper Hunter. And that's Australia Wide for this week. Thanks from myself and Alex Hyman. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Cheerio.
6: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.